All right. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to John chapter 12. We're going to uh, go to verse 37 once you get there. John chapter 12, verse 37. John chapter 12, verse 37. Again, reading there in verse 37, it says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah may, the prophet may be fulfilled, uh, which he spake, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It says, Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah has said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes or understand with their heart, and be converted. And I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. We're going to stop our reading for right now in the spouse of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the day that you've given. We thank you for this time that we have to be in your house, to study your word. I pray for, um, for your power to preach. I pray, God, that you will use the message for your honor and glory today. And God, that you would just um, work in our hearts. Help us to be receptive to your word and to your will and to be obedient. And we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the truths that we have in your word. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity this morning. It is a beautiful day. God, we're thankful for that. But more, we are thankful that we have this opportunity to worship you in freedom and to lift these praises up to you, to listen to your word being taught and preached. And God, we're just so thankful for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about the sin of disbelief. And we actually see in verse 37, uh, it introduces this thought to us. It says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. We'll actually come to that verse uh, more in, in just a little bit. But I want, to, I want you to think about something with me just for a second before we get into these verses. One of the most aggravating things in dealing with someone who has... Uh, or one of the most aggravating things that we can uh, get involved with, or especially discussions that we can be involved with, is trying to talk to someone who has different beliefs than you. And whether those are different political beliefs, whether those are just different opinions on life or philosophies or whatever, and especially about uh, when it comes to religious things, um, those, those can be some of the most aggravating conversations, right? Because the truth is, if everybody believed and thought and felt the way that I do, the world would be a better place. Amen. So my job is to make sure that all of you think and believe and, and uh, do things exactly like me, right? Right. And that's, that's kind of, I think, how we approach things. When someone has a different opinion, when someone has a different belief, you know, it's almost like it's a, a responsibility of ours uh, to convert them to the right way. You know, and I, I've heard several people uh, make statements, you know, you, uh, you can disagree with me if you want to, or, um, or uh, it's okay if you disagree with me, you can be wrong if you want to. I, you know, I've heard all those uh, kinds of things, and, and sometimes I guess I feel like that as well. You know, I want people to think like I do, I want them to have the same uh, worldview as I do. Uh, but I want, you to, I want to ask you this, has anyone ever tried to present an argument 
Uh, you, you try to present an argument for what you believe. You, you talk to someone who does believe something different. Maybe, let's just use religion, uh, for example. Maybe they don't believe in God, or maybe, maybe they do believe in God, but just uh, believe some things differently than you do. And so you present that, you talk to them till you're blue in the face, you're hoping and praying that they'll just listen and believe, that they'll listen and, and change their mind or change their opinions. And I want to ask you, how often does that work for you? Not very how, how often do you leave the conversation with them being converted and y'all being okay with each other once the conversation's done? Not often. And then how often are usually they mad at you and, and then you're fuming about that for the next couple of days? That's more often the reaction that we get, right? I want you to think about it from the other side, though. You think you're annoyed, but what about the person you're trying to convince of something else? You know, how do they feel about that? You know, well, let me ask you this from a different standpoint as well. Has anyone ever tried to get you to believe something that you don't already believe? And how did that work out? Doesn't work out so good, does it? And this is what we're dealing with. When we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the, uh, the Jewish people, the people of Israel. You see, they had grown up believing one way. They had grown up believing, uh, you know, all the stuff that the rabbis and the Pharisees and all these guys had passed down. This stuff was ingrained into them, just like your belief system, just like the things that you think and, and, and the way that you feel about things and all that. Just as that has been ingrained and instilled in you all of your life, they had those same things uh, well, in the same way. They had things ingrained into their hearts and their minds. And then here's Jesus, and he shows up and he says, by the way, most everything that you already believe is wrong and you're going to have to change those beliefs. Now, some of them were willing to listen. Some of them were willing to hear what Jesus said. And based upon the proof that he was able to give, based upon his teachings, based upon truth, they were willing to change those decisions, change those opinions, and of course convert over to Christ and to his ways. Uh, but many of them, just like what we talked about this morning, how, how heated things can get. And, and listen, sometimes people will even grow to hate you because uh, of you trying to, to tell them something or convince them of something that they don't already believe. Uh, trying to change that belief system. They, they get mad. And, and that's exactly what's happening in Israel here. The Pharisees are done with Jesus. The chief priests are done with Jesus. A lot of the Jewish people are done with Jesus because... He's just so radically different than what they've grown up believing, what they've grown up hearing. And so the solution for them was, we have to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of this Jesus. He's got to get out of the way. And we're already seeing the plot begin to thicken. We're, we're getting closer and closer to the cross when uh, they are going to convince enough people to rise up against Christ. But what we're finding in this verse, before we get into all that in the upcoming chapters, what we find in this verse is we're kind of getting an idea as a whole of what Israel thinks about Christ. And what it says here is that even though they saw all the things that he was doing, and even though they heard all the things that he was teaching, it says many of them still just would not believe. You know, there's a time here, I believe, in the United States when a person could say, the Bible says this. Or the Bible says that, and people would listen to that. The Bible carried weight. The Bible had authority. And if you said the Bible says this is wrong, even though they might not change their ways, they couldn't help but agree, yes, the Bible does say this wrong, and I know it's wrong, and I shouldn't be doing it, and so on and so forth. But now, that has completely changed. 
Everything is completely turned around. Our belief system seems to be based off philosophy or science or all these other things. And now the authority or what carries weight is not what the Bible says, but what scientists say or what doctors say or what scholars say. And that has become the new line, uh, you know, the, the new uh, benchmark for what truth is and what is right and what is wrong. And, you know, and, and so it's hard at today as Christians. And listen, you, your job is not to get everybody to believe what you believe, but our job is to tell people what the Bible says, right? Right. The, the, our job is to approach people with truth and at least try to, to dispel that truth or, or pronounce that truth to them uh, so that they have at least the option of either re- accepting or rejecting the truth of God's message. And so we're not trying to win over people to our uh, opinions or what we think, but we are supposed to be presenting God's Word. We want them to know what God thinks about something, and, and that's what we need to be presenting. But it's getting harder and harder and harder uh, to, to do that, to to have Man. to successfully be able to present either the gospel or just present the truth uh, on this or that issue. And so I was thinking about this past week, and you know, if someone is bound and determined to think or believe a certain way, it usually takes at least one of a few things to convince them otherwise. And I think that we really find those things even in the life of Jesus. First of all, it takes tangible proof. If you're going to tell someone that Jesus was the Son of God, if you're going to tell someone that God's Word is all true, that this was handed, you know, the given to us by God, that He inspired men to write this and all this other stuff, just that statement alone doesn't seem to be enough. There needs to be hard data. There needs to be tangible proof if you're going to convince people of that. My question is, how do you find tangible proof to solidify those answers, right? And we have scholars, we have people uh, who are Christians who are trying more and more through science and uh, or through history and things like that to bring that tangible proof out. But that's one of the things today that people have to, that they need to have. I, I want the data. I want to see the evidence that Jesus really is or really was the Son of God. And I'll give you a couple of good resources if, uh, if that's you, if you want to check that out or you know somebody who's having problems with that. Uh, Josh McDowell has written a, a wonderful book called uh, More Than a Carpenter. And it, it's a great book to look at. There's also another one uh, by Lee Strobel, I think it's his name, called The Case for Christ. And both of those, both of these guys were atheists. They did not believe in God. Uh, and I think both of them, in, in one way or another, were given a challenge to prove that God was real or, or really prove that He didn't exist or prove that Jesus wasn't the Son of God or one or the other. Uh, I think one was set out to prove that. The other one just wanted to find out the truth for himself. And both of them went on a discovery. And the more that they dug up, the more that they searched, and, and the more evidence that they found, it eventually solidified for them that Jesus really was everything that He said that right. He was. That, that this right. was true, that, you know, and... and and eventually they came. They both came to faith in Christ. They have some really good stuff out there. Uh, but what they needed, they needed some tangible proof. They need tangible evidence. They needed data to show uh, that this was real before they would change their beliefs. Some don't necessarily need tangible proof, but they need a convincing argument. What's more logical? Is it more logical to think that everything came out of nothing? Or that everything came from somebody. You know, and so there's arguments over here on this side. There's arguments on that side. And 
you know, and, and even even today, people are going round and round and round with those different arguments. So, so sometimes it just takes a convincing argument to uh, to get someone to believe something that they don't already believe. And then a third thing is, may not be tangible proof or a convincing argument, but some kind of life-changing experience. Right. Where they went through something that only God could have gotten them out of. And God showed Himself and God revealed that He was all-powerful, that He was there, that He did care and all those things. And then through that, they were able to, uh, you know, of course, come to Christ or, or change their beliefs. And even if we're not talking about religion, sometimes it just takes a life-changing experience uh, for people to open their eyes and see things in a different way. Now, I don't actually have proof of any of that, so you're just going to have to believe me this morning. Right? But Jesus was here with a group of people who would not believe. And it wasn't that Jesus hadn't proven himself time and time again. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his teachings. And some had even experienced things around him that they had never seen or heard of before. Their their disbelief then was not a matter of ignorance, but of arrogance. It wasn't that they couldn't believe, it's that they wouldn't believe. Even with all they saw and, and everything that was before them. They just were not going to sign up and say, this, has to, this is the Son of God. This is our Messiah. And this seems to be a present mindset in our day as well. And so today I want to talk about the danger and the sin of disbelief. And listen, if you decide not to believe me and what I have to say, that's one thing. And I'll tell you this morning, you don't have to believe me or what I have to say. But refusing to believe God is a completely different matter. And today I'm not going to show you my opinion or tell you my opinion on things. I may have shared a little bit of that with you in the introduction. But today I just want to show you God's Word. And if you choose to believe anything today, it's you need to choose to believe God. Choose to believe His Word and choose to believe His activity. The first thing I want to talk about, we're going to talk about, of course, the sin of disbelief, but I think there are three categories of people that are shown to us in our verses today. And the first category that we have here are those who see and won't believe. Those who see and won't believe. And we find that, again, in verses 37 through 41. It says in verse 37, But though He had done so many miracles before them, it says, Yet they believed not on Him. So they had seen. He had showed them all these things. He had done all these things right before their eyes, yet they would not believe on Him. And it says the reason is that the the saying of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now we're told in these verses that even though Jesus did so many miracles before these people's eyes, they still just would not believe. If they were only to recount the miracles from the Gospel of John alone, though, they could recall Him, first of all, changing water into wine, giving sight to a blind man, multiplying food to feed 5,000 and above people. They, uh, they could even look back just a couple of weeks before and see where Jesus had raised a man from the dead. He had done many, many wonderful things that are recorded 
in this gospel alone, not to mention all of the accounts of the other gospels of Jesus healing the sick and giving hearing to the deaf and calming the sea and the storm and many, many other things He did before them. These things were not done in secret. Jesus openly showed them time and time again that He was the Christ, the Son of God. And even non-Christian historians today recognize that Jesus of Nazareth was an actual person. He was a real man who lived in Israel. And this is the testimony that many will give of you, that He did many marvelous things. Many powerful works that weren't seen or heard of. Listen, we're talking about Christ. We're talking about all the things that He did. This isn't a legend. These aren't tall tales. It's not Christian mythology. These are facts. Jesus has spent three and a half years doing His Father's will and works right before their eyes, and yet they still would not believe. The question is, why? Amen. If they saw it, why would they not believe? Why would they choose with all the proof before them, why would they choose not to believe? Jesus said that it was a fulfillment of prophecy. If you look at verses 38, uh, we already read that. Let's go on down to 39. It says, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said, uh, said again, or in another place, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, or understand with their heart, and be converted, that I should heal them. In verse 41 it says, These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory... And spoke of him. Now Jesus said that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. And please understand uh, that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation is for all and is given to anyone who will believe in the gospel. The scriptures also talk about God hardening Pharaoh's heart though. So that he would not let the, the children of Israel go. If you remember that. It says here that they couldn't believe because God had hardened their hearts. And if you remember, God had hardened Pharaoh's heart as well. But you must note that before God has ever mentioned hardening the heart of Pharaoh. That Pharaoh had already hardened his heart two or three times before then. Right, right. That that was a choice that Pharaoh made. He was not going to let the people of Israel go. And once that was already solidified in his own heart, then God began to harden his heart as well. And began to use him to show his own glory and his own power. I want you to understand today that when we're looking at these verses, it says that God hardened the hearts of these chief priests and the Pharisees and all these. You must understand that they had already repeatedly rejected and refused their Messiah. This wasn't something that just out of the blue God hardened their hearts and wouldn't allow them to believe. They had already made the decision. We hate Him. We, they are already conspiring against Him. In, in the previous chapter, they put a bounty on His head. And Judas, we're going to find later, is the one that's going to carry that out. But they've already put a bounty on His head. They, they've already condemned Him. And so God added to their delusion. But also keep in mind that this wasn't a new problem in Israel. If you remember in the Old Testament, they saw God part the Red Sea, but they still turned away from Him, didn't they? That's right. They saw God give water from a rock, and they refused to obey Him. Amen. Now listen, if somebody can make water come out of a rock, you better listen to what they're saying. Amen, brother. 
But time and time again, they saw God's power. They saw His glory. I mean, a cloud was with them every day, and yet they acted like they were all on their own. That's it. They saw the waters of Jordan rise. They saw the walls of Jericho fall. And yet the next generation forsook God. This was just the next episode in a series of disbelief. Listen, there are many today who have seen God work. God is still working. He's not working in secret. He's not an undercover God. He is just as bold and as powerful as ever. The problem is not that God is not at work. The problem is that people have become blind to His activity. And I'll dare to say that even God's people have become blind to His activity. Amen. I want to ask you a question. You don't have to to answer this aloud. Just answer this to yourself. I want to ask you this. Number one, is God working? Is He taking a break? Is He on vacation? Is God working? Yes, sir. If He's working, I want you to think about if you could recognize where God is working in your life. What is he doing? And I'm just, this is not a self focused thing. I'm asking in your world, in your surroundings, where do you already presently see God at work? Do you see him at work at your job? Do you see him at work in your home? Do you see him at work in your community around about? Do you see God's activity? Do you see what he's doing? And I would dare say that many Christians, if I were to put them on the spot and say, where is God working? What is God doing around you? Many people will give the answer, I don't know. Now let me ask you, is the reason you don't know because God's not working? Because you're not paying attention. There you go. Because your eyes are not being open to what He's doing around you. So many people will see today and yet not believe. We also find another category here that there are those who believe but won't confess. If you look at verses 42 through 43, chapter 12, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him. Why? Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. It says, For they love the praise of man more than the praise of God. Right. You know, the next dilemma that we find here in our verses is that some did believe. Now many, even though they saw, they wouldn't believe. Some did believe, but they wouldn't admit it. Right. Now this can be interpreted a couple of two, uh, different ways. In verse 42 it says, Among the chief rulers many believed, uh, but because of the Pharisees they wouldn't confess. Alright, now we can look at that a couple different ways. First of all, they did believe that He was the Christ. I mean, they saw the evidence. They said, this has got to be Him. But they never actually trusted Him as Savior because they feared the Pharisees. Or, this could be taken to mean that these were secret believers in Christ who were too afraid of the Pharisees to make their faith public. 
In other words, they were booing Jesus on the outside, but really secretly cheering for him on the inside. Yay, you know, hey, Jesus. You know, every time he would stick one to the Pharisees. But they, they didn't want to say it out loud. You know, they were, they were afraid of what the Pharisees would think or do. But either way, I want you to look at what's said about the reasoning. The reasoning is, is that they desired the praise of man more than the praise of God. They didn't want these Pharisees, they didn't want their peers looking down on them for their faith in Christ. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogues, become outcasts, uh, you know, a social outcast, and so they decided just to keep that faith concealed. They were more concerned with what people thought of them than what God thought of them. They valued the praise of their peers over the praise of God. And this also has not changed because there are many trying to be undercover Christians today. They don't want to talk about hell because it's not politically correct. They don't want to talk about Jesus because it might make them the weird Jesus guy at work that nobody wants to sit around or talk to. They don't follow Jesus' teachings because it might make them a social outcast. And they don't share the gospel because it might offend their peers. There you go. And heaven forbid, one of them unfriends you on Facebook. Anybody been unfriended lately? Because you posted about God too much? I've heard it happen. I remember many times, uh, and I've shared this before, but in my past, people that we had built friendships with people we knew were lost and we kept saying I'm going to I will but there was this fear in the back of our minds that if we ever if we ever really just started talking to them about God never really got serious about it that they would just stop being our friends they wouldn't listen to us and we were in a new place and finding friends was already hard enough. We didn't want to chase away the, the few that we felt like we had made. And I remember distinctly, and even at work sometimes, not talking to people about Christ because of what that might do to my relationship with them, to, to friendships, or just making things awkward at work or whatever it may be. Neighbors, you know. I mean, if this guy gets mad at me for talking to him about the gospel, I've got to live by him for the next several years. So just keep my mouth shut. And I've got to look back now, and I've got to wonder, whose praise was I really looking for? Right. Whose approval was I really seeking there? Was I wanting their approval or God's approval? And what those choices say to me is that I valued what they thought of me more than I valued what God thought. Listen, I think there are also some people out there who are intrigued by Jesus and they know that there's something to Him. They may even believe that He is the Savior, but they never trust Him as Savior because even they fear social or family repercussions. Listen, there's a valid point there because many are disowned by their family and by their friends because of faith in Christ. Right. There may be some that know, they know that, that this, is, this has got to be the Savior. This, this, has, this has to be real. 
But they're afraid of either trusting Him as Savior or making that faith public because of what could happen with their friends and family. And if you don't think that still happens in the United States, you're sadly mistaken. It does. Amen. But you know, Matthew 19 and verse 29 records these words of Jesus. Jesus said this, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold. And look, that's not even as important as the next words. He says, And inherit eternal life. Amen. Now you holding back on trusting Christ or you keeping your faith in Christ concealed now may keep you protected and may keep you keep things okay for the next several years. But one day we've all got to face eternity. We're either going to have to give an answer before God on why we didn't trust His Son as Savior. We're going to have to give an answer before Christ for why we didn't share His Son with others. And then the third category are those who have heard but won't believe. Now we've seen those who have seen and won't believe. Talk about those who believe but won't confess. But now let's look at those who have heard and won't believe. If you look at verses 44 through 50, it says, Then Jesus cried and said, He that believes on me believes not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that sent me, or he that seeth me, and seeth him that sent me. I am come a light unto the world, that whosoever believeth on him, on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man, look at this, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but of the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment that what I I should say and what I should speak, and I know that His commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said to me, so I speak. Now I want to sum up the truths in these verses. I think if I were to sum up verse 44, I could sum it up just in this simple sentence, that to receive Jesus is to receive God. You can't have one without the other. To receive Jesus is to receive God. Verse 44. But let me sum up verse 45 as well. To reject Jesus is to reject God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. Jesus goes on to say that if you've heard the gospel and reject Jesus, that it's not Him that will judge you, but the very word that you rejected will become your judge in verses 46 through 50. Now, let me say this. Technically, Jesus will be your judge. If you're saved, you're going to stand before His judgment. And if you're lost without Christ and you die, you you will stand before the White throne judgment, and guess who's sitting there? <laughs> Jesus. That's right. Amen. right. But what he's saying here is that the condemning testimony against you will be that you heard the truth and still rejected it. Right. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, I won't even need to testify against you. I didn't come to 
to condemn you. I came to bring you life. And I came and I shared truth with you. I, I showed you and I told you what the truth was. And yet you would not believe. And he says, and if you don't believe and you die in your sins. And you have to stand before the judgment one day and give account for that. He says, I won't be the one who condemns you. The very word that you heard and rejected will stand as a testimony against you. Amen. Amen. Jesus' point is that He didn't come to bring condemnation, but salvation, He says that right here in these verses. Listen, if you see the activity of God, if you've heard the message of God and still refuse to believe, the blame is completely on you. Right. <clears throat> Let me tell you, there's a truth in John 3.16. It's been a couple of weeks since we've looked at those verses, but John 3.16 says some wonderful things. It says, first of all, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Without getting too technical, I want to tell you from that verse, there's a way that that is worded. And when you dig that out and you find out what it means, when he says, whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life, what he's basically saying is that comes down to a personal choice. God so loved the world. God gave the price. God supplied the means of salvation. But then he puts that decision into the hands of those who hear. That's right. Amen. That whoever believes should not perish. And that word literally means to perish themselves. What does that mean? That means to reject the Son of God. To reject His only begotten Son is to condemn yourself. Whosoever believes should not be condemned, but should have what? Everlasting life. Now, is what I just said true? Well, let's go to the next verse. Jesus said, I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that through the, that the world through me might be saved. And then he says in verse 18, He that believeth is not condemned. But listen to this. He that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Right. Jesus says that He didn't come bearing His own message. But He brought the Father's message. And to reject Jesus is to reject God. And so those Jews who thought they were being so Jewish, who thought they were being so righteous, who thought that they were honoring God by their decision to reject Jesus, we find here that in doing so, at the very same time, they were rejecting the very God that they thought they were serving. Listen, I want to say to you this morning, everybody here, believer or not, everybody here is going to be faced with the decision to make. If you don't know Christ, if that's something you've been holding back on, if that's something you've been questioning, or you're saying, I want to hear more, I want to see more evidence, or whatever it may be, you're faced with a decision today. 
The gospel has been presented. And it's not what I have said, but it's what the Word of God has said and it's what the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart today that you're going to have to deal with. But you're going to be faced with the decision right now. There's no way around it. You're either going to accept what you've heard or you're going to reject what you've heard. And that's the decision you'll be faced with today. But I want you to know, even believers here today, that we're going to be faced with a decision as well. To either reveal our faith and share our faith with all those around us or to keep it concealed. And I bet you in a a congregation, even this size, there's at least one person here today who realizes that they're, they're, they're concealing their faith. They're not sharing their faith. They're not open with their faith the way that they should be. Perhaps God's spoken to you about that this morning as well. You've got a decision to make. And listen, I don't know how else God may have taken this sermon and applied it to your heart, but you'll make a decision today either to accept or reject what God's Word has said to you this morning. My prayer and my hope is that as you make that decision, that you'll choose to receive Him. You'll choose to trust Him. You'll choose to obey Him. That you'll say yes and not say no.